Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. That's 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to make things better. Well, good morning, or whenever you're listening to this. It could be good evening, I suppose. Lots of folks don't listen live. Um, Glad that you are joining in, though, no matter what time it is, where you're at and when you're listening to it. You know, I just noticed we got to change that uh, intro. It says that the program's on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, and that's not true anymore. Now it's Mondays at 11 a.m. Eastern, so sorry for the confusion. We'll get that changed as quickly as we can. Um, here's uh, what we have planned for today. Um, phone calls. We already have somebody holding on, uh, already waiting. I have no idea uh, who or what, but that's always the fun of this program. So area code 763, just hang in there for a minute while I uh, go through the rest of what we're doing. Got a bunch of emails to answer as well, questions that have um, accumulated. Uh, Quite frankly, we're still working our way through the summer emails. But once again, if you do have a question that you want to have answered during the program, uh, go to the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website and uh, send it in, and we answer it on the program. That's um, one of the things we do here at Lives in the Balance. Um, so here I am sitting in our new offices in Portland, Maine. Yes, Lives in the Balance has moved to Maine. And um, boy, are we happy we did that. Uh, what a nice place for Lives in the Balance to be. It doesn't really matter. People listen to these programs from all over the world. And, of course, the website can be accessed from all over the world. So, you know, what doesn't really matter that much anymore is where you're at. But uh, just to give you the context here, beautiful day here in Maine. We started out in the 40s. Maybe we'll make it in the 60s today. Um, Beautiful out. But, of course, not so beautiful if your morning was a disaster because you have a behaviorally challenging kid. Then it's harder to notice the stuff that's still good. Well, we can try to work on that on this program as well there are things that are still good even when you have a behaviorally challenging kid and there are still things that are good about your behaviorally challenging kid even though your behaviorally challenging kid is behaviorally challenging good to notice those things too callers always take priority on this program though so we are going to start with the person who has called in. Our first caller of this, as they say, broadcasting season. We don't take those things very seriously, but this is the first caller of this broadcasting season. So, area code 763, welcome to the program. How are you today? Hi, I'm great, Dr. Green. How are you? 
I am well. So once again, you can use my name if you want to, but we like to keep things confidential on this program. Don't use anybody's names in terms of the people who you're going to be talking about. Um, okay. But what what uh, what prompts you to call in today? Uh, my nine-year-old, almost ten-year-old son, who has given us a whole bunch of fun over the past couple years. Okay. Um, um, he is almost ten years old and is in fourth grade. And he has a diagnosis of Tourette syndrome with accompanying um, OCD and ADHD. Yikes. You know what what I tell my students at Tufts University when I'm teaching my developmental psychopathology class and I'm teaching them about diagnoses, I tell them that the combination of Tourette's disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and ADHD is without question one of the hardest combos to treat. So wow. you've got your hands full. It's a it's a tough one. But yeah. keep going. Well, so I appreciate that because some days I feel like, well, what am I doing? I can't crack this code. Um, so I'll, I'll just tell you, since um, kindergarten, he's you know he's had definitely he has i i've called it the golden retriever syndrome where wherever he enters into a new situation he gets really excited and very animated and very physical and there's sort of not the switch to turn the volume down on that um as he progressed through the grades he had um a lot of blinking in first grade and moved into face scrunching and then uh we started in with neck twitching, you know, where he'd jerk his head back violently and then move down his limbs to, like, arm flexing and um, and uh, deep knee bends where he would do, like, 600 deep knee bends a day. Then he started doing uh, having a lot more vocal tics, and um, eventually we put him on some medication to manage his, his tics and his um, ADHD. Then we were seeing a lot of – he was doing a lot of licking, where he would lick his fingers and touch things, or he would like lick a seat where he was sitting on, and um, was sort of compelled to do it. And also a lot of like looking into lights, and um, sunlight was a trigger, noise is a trigger for him. You know, it was just sort of all over the board. Fast forward very, to very day, hard. yeah, it's you know it it was crazy upsetting. You know, we we're more worried about his physical well-being. He was in a lot of physical pain a lot of the time as well as very conscious of the fact that other people were noticing and, you know, he was becoming more and more aware as he was getting older. So fast forward to today, we've actually found a a phenomenal physician locally who has um, modified some medications. Um, He's a uh, neuropsychiatrist and also is very big in dietary intervention and relaxation techniques and physical activity, believes in a holistic integrative treatment of situations like this. He's pulled him off some of the medications he was on, replaced some, and we now have a kid that has almost no visible physical tics. um, That's fabulous. Yeah, That's that's not so easy to do, but... But no, this guy is good. my hero. He's phenomenal. Good. And um, we also have a kid whose vocal tics, which last last fall were off the charts. He was like going at the top of his voice and doing a lot of echoing what the teacher was saying and yelling out in class. A lot of that has settled down. Outstanding. Uh, the, lick, the licking has 
stopped somewhat. Sometimes when he's holding a piece of paper, if we're reading a book together, he'll want to, like, lick my fingers before I touch the paper because he can't take the sound. Things like that are still there, but they're very subtle, very manageable. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, but what we are left with now is a kid with sort of um, a volatile um you know, a short fuse on things. His little sister drives him insane. And um, little things will trigger him into, you know, highly reactive state. And um, during class specifically, he's doing still doing a lot of blurting out. And uh, specifically, his teacher and I had a conversation on Friday, and she's noticing when things are very quiet, which was a pattern we saw before last during his last year. When things are quiet and she's trying to lecture, that's when he's doing a lot of blurting. But it's not just sounds. It's comments or remarks, and she's noticing he's looking around as though he's looking for um, attention or response from his classmates. And she's also just been noticing um, that he is fine in some situations. He goes to a Catholic school, and she noticed that during Mass, he seemed to be fine. No blurting, no pushing or touching other people during Mass, which was a problem last year. Um, Also, he's currently being observed by a special ed team, um, a special ed evaluation team from our local school district for um, putting in place an IEP, which we do not have. And she noticed that when the um, observers would come into class, he was very conscious of it, and his behavior was sort of under control or more under control. So the teacher necessarily, you know, as as we all do, is now suspect of, like, what is in his control and what is out of his control and how should she manage it and what should be reprimanded or what should have a consequence and what should not. Mm. So I've introduced her to... Um, to you, and she Good. hasn't read your books, but I've I read The Explosive Child, and this summer I poured through Lost at School and filled out the ALSUP, and I, I think, you know, from what I've seen at home, we're getting really good results from collaborative problem solving. Mm-hmm. But I guess my question for you, Dr. Green, is um, do you have any advice of where we could start with a kid who's who's ability to control his behavior and his act, you know his actions in class his his ability to control those we're unclear of what is within his control and what is not and then how to effectively parent through it which has been my challenge for several years and how can i help his teacher become more clear on helping him work through this beyond the obvious collaborating with him and getting his input, which I've walked her through. So any good place to start. So thank well, you for listening to all that. <laughs> oh, I, um, you've got me riveted. Yeah. The, I have a feeling um, I may be a repeat caller this year, so just prepare yourself. <laughs> hey, no no worries. That's that's why yeah. we do this. Yeah. Um, so here's, let me, here, here's some of the thoughts I've been having as you've been speaking. Mm-hmm. Thought number one. You, you've got a child who's got a pretty nasty combination of um, diagnoses. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not very diagnostically oriented, but I, I think I know what you mean by ADHD. It sounds like the, the things you're describing that are potentially ADHD-related is that he's a busy guy and he's impulsive, and um, uh, I'm hearing about bona fide tics, um, 
and I'm hearing about what sound for all the world to be bonus bona fide compulsions. Mm-hmm. Um, so he sounds like the real deal to me. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm bringing that up is for a few reasons. So, so number one, your kid's the real deal, right? And that's mm-hmm. a tough combination of uh, among the reasons that. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons that that's a tough combo. First of all, you have three completely different things going on that are causing behaviors that are of concern. Right. Um, obsessions and compulsions are tough. Hyperactivity, poor impulse control, tough. Um, ticks, to the degree that you're, the extent that your son is having them, tough. Mm-hmm. So you've got sort of a triple whammy going on, and I'm not. You don't sound like you are too blown out of the way by it, and that's great. But you got a triple whammy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a triple whammy though. Yeah. But secondly, the medications that would be used to reduce hyperactivity and to improve impulse control can often make ticks worse. The medications that are used to treat obsessions and compulsions can make the hyperactivity and poor impulse control worse. And so um, often parents who have the cl- who, whose children have that triple whammy, um, their medication options are tougher. It sounds like you have uh, somebody prescribing medicine who's very talented. I am delighted about that because what you're, what you're doing, what, what that person's been able to do is knock out some of the things that have been, that could be treated with medicine, but um, without necessarily, and this I don't have the perfect bead on, without necessarily making things worse. Mm -hmm. But now, so that's that's good because that's not so easy to do for many of the kids who have the triple whammy that your son has. So that's, that's going okay so far because often that piece actually doesn't go so okay because these kids are hard to treat medicinally. Luckily, uh, more luck, your, the, the triple whammy that y- your your son has are some things that medication is actually half decent at treating. And yeah. so if there's any luck involved in having the triple whammy, aside from the fact that often one medication that helps one thing makes other things worse, it's that all three of the things that are part of your son's triple whammy are um, things that medicine treats well. Now, the reason I'm saying that your son is the real McCoy, he's the real deal, is because we're not saying that his tics are attention-seeking or intentional or under his control even. We're not saying that the hyperactivity and poor impulse control is intentional and under his control. We're we're not saying that the obsessions and compulsions are um, under his control. I had a meeting. The mom whose son's meeting I was at still talks about this meeting as having been revolutionary for her son at his school because it was a meeting about a similar thing, the teacher wanted to know what's intentional, and the mom listens to the radio program, so okay. she knows what I'm about to say. That The teacher wanted to know what's intentional, what's not, what's under his control, what's not. And my answer was, assume nothing is under his control. 
assume nothing right. is under his control. None of the stuff you've been talking about so far is under his control. I mean, sometimes kids can inhibit ticks, and that might cause people to say, well, see, he can, it, he can keep it under his control, but not forever. Assume or keep the behavior under, under his control, Dr. Green. I think that's what is well, – it just behavior... gets suspicious. I've I've lived with him for now almost 10 years, and some of the yep. behavior becomes really annoying, and it is very, very um, – it's very tempting. I revisit it with great frequency emotionally that I'm like, oh, that's on purpose. He's doing that on purpose. And I had one psychologist say it may be deliberate, but the the deliberate act may be – outside of his ability to control or refrain from. So that was and helpful see, I, to me as well. I think it is virtually impossible with great precision to say what's under a kid's control and what's not. But here's, here's a mantra that I'm sure you're familiar with that does speak to the issue. Kids do all if they can. I shared that with his teacher as well, which I think is great. Sure. Right. The reason kids do all if they can is so important, though, is because it says that if he could do well, he would do well. And that frees us up to say, well, then if there's something he's not doing well, he must not be able to do well on it. And there, there goes your control issue under his control issue. If he, could, if he could control his behavior, he would. It's interesting. You were talking about one class in which he blurts out and seems to look around to see if people are looking, but another class in which he doesn't. Right. It's interesting, because as you're telling that story, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I guess I could see that maybe in, in one class there are the kids who think that's funny and in the other class there aren't. But I'm also thinking, isn't it just as plausible that if he was going to call out for attention in one class, he'd call out for attention in most of them because... It's attention that he's after. Why would he be not calling out in one? So, I think that's the, the million-dollar question that I asked her to maybe reach out to him and then explore. Well, that's that's but, a great place to start, but not if we have on the lenses of not if we ask it in the following way: Why is it under your control in math and it's not under yeah. your control in the other class? I wouldn't ask it that way because that already indicates that we have a certain point of view. And the point right. of view is, we know you can control this. And I would not go into it. If, if kids do all if they can, I wouldn't go into the whole approach to helping him by even intimating that we think something's under his control. And here, here's the good news. It doesn't matter. I mean, if you ask me what mentality would I want the teacher to have to keep her as neutral as possible, as open-minded as possible, in her approach to your son on these difficulties, um, I'd say assume nothing's intentional. Assume nothing's under his control. But the reason I'm saying it doesn't matter is because we're going to ask him about it, and we're going to find out what's getting in his way, in which case our preconceived notions about what's getting in his way and what's not really don't matter except that they could color the conversation and make it harder for him to talk to us. But beyond that, what difference does it make whether we think it's under his control or not? We're going to ask him about calling out in class, and then we're going to find out what's really going on. And that's just the empathy step of Plan B. 
Well, and I think my concern in talking with him this past weekend was that in in a lot of cases he's his perception is and this year he's come home he's very happy with the teacher she's lovely she's compassionate he's happy to come home and do homework we've got a different and by the way not to interrupt but she gets she gets ten points for being even though I have some um, I'm a little worried about the under his control not under his control piece. The fact that she's open-minded to, to collaborative problem-solving and willing to do this with him, 10 points right off the bat, but keep going, sorry. Well, and so my recommendation to her was, uh, as you just said, was not to focus on the entire day, just using your, your model in Lost at School. I said, try to find one very specific um, instance and just talk about that with him and get his input of what he thinks is going on. And specifically last week, she said one easy case, she said, was when they were going through their spelling test, she was going through the words, and he would, like, blurt out comments about the words. So in particular, she said, cheap. And he allegedly said, that's a ripoff, like really loud, which is a little a hilarious and funny comment, but alarming and also a for the impulsive. teacher. And impulsive. And, you know, I talked to him about that specifically. I said, you know, I talked to your teacher today. You know, she's, she said, you know, I, I talked, I gave him a, a criticism sandwich, which we do, which is like, you know, she said you're doing great in your classes. She's really happy with your work. She said she did notice that you were doing some um, some blurting out during your spelling test today, and and then I gave him the specific example, and um, I was like, you know what, you know what do you think that's, you know what what do you think that or what's that about? And mm-hmm. he said, and he said, um, Mom, that wasn't me. That was somebody across the room, like very adamantly. Um, but he is a great, you know, sort of plausible deniability kid. <laughs> And I've caught him a lot of times telling me something that, it, to my face, is completely not true. So I don't know. But I figured, I, I was like, well, you know, are there other times when you're blurting out? And he's he was saying, I don't think I am, Mom. I, You know, so a lot of it, I think, is outside of his awareness. I'm not Could sure be. about that specific instance. And I thought, you know, that maybe we'll let her handle that specific instance. Well, maybe the, he'll feel the more specific, You know, often, this is a good example Often when we're talking about a specific instance instead of sort of the unsolved problem, a specific instance is a, is a specific example of an unsolved problem. Right. But if he's having trouble blurting out, um, we don't want to get into a he said, she said mm. on what actually went down in that specific instance. It's actually much yeah. more interesting that he... Um, May not, he's not, not, may not know that he's doing it. Right. Um, and that would be a very interesting thing for us to know. Um, right. It could be that his definition of blurting out and her definition of blurting out are not the same definition of blurting out. And so it, okay. it would be good to get some clarity on what she means. I must say the thing that I'm thinking at the moment is that given the triple whammy that your son's bringing to the table, mm-hmm. especially the ticks and the poor impulse control, um, our expectations for you, um, the, the degree to which the blurting out can be eliminated or reduced mm-hmm. is, is going to be something that evolves over time. Our, our notions of how well he can do on that 
um, are still a work in progress because um, given those two pieces, ticks and hyperactivity and poor impulse control, um, I don't know if he's going to be out of the blurting out business. The, the best we might be able to hope for is some level of reduction, but not perfection. Yeah. He, he's got a triple whammy that's going to get in the way of elimination. Well, in last year, his his vocal tics were so loud that people could hear them down the hall. And in my in my opinion, as his mom, that's not happening. So that is an improvement. You know, that's now we've got this sort of obnoxious comments. My my husband and I went and watched him play baseball. He's a very talented athlete. He actually does academically. He does very well. He's got lots of things going right. for him. Boy, but good for yes, him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yesterday we noticed a couple of things. One was he was um, playing the outfield for a while, and the umpire yelled something, or the um, catcher yelled, everybody, da, 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 you know, yelled something out. And then we heard, da, 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 from the outfield. <laughs> and um, so that was just echoing. And then another thing, one of his um, teammates went on, you know, was getting ready to bat, and, and uh, my son yelled, don't strike out. And the kid turned around and he goes, I won't. And and uh, my son said, yeah, let's hope not or something. But And, and you know, that I would I would put that in the poor impulse control category. Yeah. And, and this is a I'm kid very, who's, yeah, who plays well. He's friendly with him. So I'm like, why no, are you, I mean, I you know. You don't say that to that kid. You don't say that to your friend. You don't say kid. that to a kid who's right. likely to strike out. So, right. Um, but that's him having, you know, it could be that every kid on a bench was thinking don't strike out. The, the, the kid whose mouth it came out of is the kid who's got poor impulse control and, and maybe even a contribution from ticks. You know, that's who that's who says that stuff, right? Yeah. But but what that says is the, the poor impulse control is not under perfect control. I don't, um, since I'm not a medicine person, I don't give medicine advice on this program, and I don't understand, yeah. I don't know what he's on, nor do I want to necessarily well enough. Yeah. I'm glad that the tick, have been reduced. Right. Whether there's additional mileage to be had on the poor impulse control is a discussion between you and the person doing the prescribing. Yeah, I feel like the medications we have him on now are the ones that are an option to us and reduce them reduce the problem somewhat. But if we went any in a different route, that's when we were having the problems with really aggressive yep. vocal tics and really aggressive motor tics. So, so this may be as good as it gets. And yeah. it, it, this may be as good as it gets in terms of medicine. And it's also right. a good example of the fact that, number one, with kids with a triple whammy, as good as it gets with medicine is a, it's often a different picture than as good as it gets if you don't have that triple whammy that you're dealing with. Right. Um, but... If 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 you and the person doing the prescribing are convinced that this is as good as it gets, then you've gotten as much mileage out of medicine as you're going to get, and you still have a kid who's pretty impulsive and still calling that stuff out. And right. that's what you're doing Plan B on. But if you said to me, um, is that under his control? I I have my doubts. Yeah. Um, is that something you can work on in Plan B? Yeah. Is that something that you can make him more, help him become more aware of? Yes. You know, with varying degrees of success. Um, right. 
Is that something that could be sticking around for a while and that you all could be dealing with for quite a while? Absolutely, especially if this is the best medicine's going to get you. And I, you know, to get any mileage with the triple whammy is sometimes an accomplishment. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you're getting mileage out of medicine. I'm glad that things have improved. You still have an impulsive kid who sometimes calls things out without speak, without thinking. Um, right. Can we bring that into his awareness and can we help him with it? Is it going to be a long slog? Is that going to improve dramatically? Quite frankly, I have my doubts. That's a tough one. Really? I think that's the trick as a parent is just, you know, on your parenting your challenging child is what is a reasonable expectation for me as right. as a mother of what I should expect him to be able to accomplish because it is very difficult not to be very frustrated with regularity, you know? Well, and that, that triple whammy is very, very frustrating. Forget that it's your son. Yeah. Those three disorders in combination, you've already heard what I tell the kids in my class, um, this is a nasty combo. But yeah. I think you said it perfectly trying to figure out what to expect and what's realistic. But here's the interesting thing. That's hard, and it's yeah. always a work in progress. But that's why I'm saying if we're assuming that kids do all well if they can, then we're assuming he's doing well academically because he can. We're assuming that he's uh, playing baseball well and a good athlete because he can, right? Right. But we're assuming those things and uh, looking upon him favorably because – those are things he's excelling at. I just want to help us avoid the temptation to take the things that he's doing less well and say, well, he's he's um, choosing not to do less, not to do well at those. Nope. Kids do all if they can. I think is your sort of guiding light. The things yeah. he's doing well at, he's doing well at because he can do all of them, and the things he's not doing well at, he's not doing well at because he's having trouble with them. I need to get his teacher a bracelet. <laughs> Just a reminder. Well, and here's the cool That's part: this program helpful. is going to be archived. Um, yeah, on I, the website, I will. I'll have her. I'll have her listen. Have I listen. told her about your teacher teacher program as well. Yep. I mean, but we're talking about her student today, and I, I'm I'm serious. Now that I know she's going to be listening, ten points. I said this earlier, even though I don't know she was going to be listening. Ten points for being open minded to this. But yeah, let's assume that he would do well if he could do well. Kids do well if they can. Let's approach each unsolved problem with plan B, and let's get is this under control or isn't it? Because the other thing you alluded to very early on was if we believe it's under his control, then at what point do we start consequencing him when he's not going to come through? But if we're assuming that kids do well if they can, now thankfully, thankfully, we are not even considering consequencing him for things that, if he could do well, he would do well. Well, I think that's her question, though, Dr. Green, is like if he if she's not giving him consequences and the other children for similar behavior are getting consequences, like how much does she need to share? And, you know, it's it's a tricky... It's a tricky environment, I think, to try to manage it, through that. It's tricky, and, and here's the good news. Yes, um, it's tricky. In my opinion, it's not that tricky. Mm-hmm. Number one, every kid in her glass, classroom is getting something that some other kid isn't getting. Right. So the fact that she might have different expectations for different kids is the status quo. Right. The fact that she might be handling different kids differently 
status quo. Mm -hmm. The fact that the other kids, even though there are things your son is doing that are annoying, can be helped to understand his difficulties. Yeah. Um, that's, that's status quo. Pe pe people do that. And kids tend to be even more understanding than adults do, even though one of their classmates is annoying. Yeah. So, yeah, it's tricky, but she already has different expectations for different kids in the class. So in my opinion, it's not that tricky. But the, the, the hard part for some people is that um, a lot of folks are okay with there being different expectations academically, but they feel like everybody should be looking exactly the same way behaviorally. I, I've just never comprehended why we would think that we would have a different level of compassion and appreciation for individual differences behaviorally. Why do we have a different appreciation and compassion for that than we do for academics? It's it's they're all we're all talking about we're talking about skills no matter what here. By the way, um, we get some emails during this program, and a few are relevant to this discussion we've been having. So oh, I think I'll great. read a few. You ready? Yeah. Here's one from here's one from a mom. Having been on a similar journey, good for the mom. That's you for trying to have the clearest understanding of her son and doing things a different way. It's great that she is working on the unsolved problems now, while the pile of unsolved problems is, at least relatively speaking, small. Her son is at a very important age and grade where the interventions done now will have a significant impact on how he views school and his own self-esteem. That's one email from one of our listeners. Um, and now here's another. I think this is from the same person. If her son had a reading problem, the teacher wouldn't consequence him. That's germane to the what we were just talking yeah. about. Well, I think the the trying to give the teacher realistic expectations for you know she's like well I think that you know once we work with him a little bit I think he'll settle down and I I don't know that that is necessarily going to happen. I in uh, in my son's. Do you know what I mean? And I, I don't do. know if that is a realistic expectation to have, um, but I am sensitive to the fact that behavior like this would be very disruptive in a class, and I was no a really good, quiet, well-behaved student, and something like this would have driven me wacko if I'd had a child like this in my class. That's so correct. And so we want it to get as better as we can get it. Mm -hmm. We just don't want to be under the delusion that adult-imposed consequences will make it better than it can be. If so compassion, can, and, compassion and collaboration and step-by-step step and just see what and, we and, can. And realistic expectations. Well, there's That's the question, huge. right? What What is realistic in terms of the expectations? That's a work in progress. Yeah. But um, some latitude for behavior. If kids do all if they can, then your son is already doing the best he can. He's he's That's, doing those he's doing we're going into it with eighty percent better than last year. So, all right. That's, well, listen. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you for calling. And really you know, appreciate you're free it. Call any time, and you're free to have the teacher call in if the you want. The teacher call. To. Yeah, she's she's really remarkable. She's a new teacher, and I wasn't sure if a new teacher was going to be more challenging, but turns out she's done a whole bunch of research on his condition over the summer, and is really open to Good trying to work with her. him. And, Really now excited she's got to learn 20 about points. And we don't even give yeah. points on this program, but she's got 20. She can't cash them in for anything because they're worthless, but yeah, well, for her. you know, sometimes points are good. There you <laughs> Thank go. Thank you so much. Thanks Dr. for calling. Take All right, bye-bye. A lot of great 
things covered in that conversation. That's why we took as much time as we did on it. Um, but now we have a little bit of time for a few more. Let's let's turn our attention to the email bag here. Hi, Dr. Green. I have read your book, scoured your site, listened to the radio programs, and attempted to put CPS into practice in our home. Of course, I've read every other book out there regarding this kind of behavior, but CPS is what makes the most sense or fits the best for my son and our family. My issue is that every day there are so many problems to solve. He fights me on just about every single interaction that we have that I find I just don't have the stamina to keep up. Also, the most pressing issue that has never really been solved is that he wakes up at 5 or 5.30 a.m. every morning and disrupts the entire family until someone finally concedes and goes downstairs with him. We ask for 6.30 a.m. and have tried to implement with his input solutions such as he lays in bed until 6.30, clock is facing him, and he can tell time. He turns on a small lamp and reads quietly so as to wake, not to wake up his little sister in the same room. He can da- go downstairs himself but is too afraid. We have had a small bowl of dry cereal and milk or juice upstairs so he can have a snack. He can come into bed with us, but he has to be quiet. The list goes on. In addition, he is really angry and disrespectful and berate everyone all morning. We discipline and take things away, but everyone is just miserable in the morning. We have many other unsolved problems, but this is the most pressing right now. We are tired, and he is an awesome kid, and we all deserve to figure this out. I agree, and thank you for your email. Here we go. I'm going to go back through what you wrote. All right, because a few things come to mind as I'm reading through your inquiry again. The issue is that every day there are so many problems to solve. I'm a little worried that we haven't yet made a list of all of the unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion challenging episodes. We may be working on too much. One of the things that that list does for us is it helps us prioritize because we can't work on everything at once. Some things we got to let go, um, which sounds interesting for people with a challenging kid, but sometimes when we let some things go and reduce our expectations on some things, not all, mind you, but on some things, it makes us less tired and gives us more energy and makes him more available to work on the unsolved problems that are the high priorities. So that's plan C. What are we working on with plan B? Um, I don't know, two or three unsolved problems at a time. Now, you mentioned that the most pressing issue is that he wakes up at 5 or 5.30 a.m. and disrupts the entire family until someone finally concedes and goes downstairs with him. Here's my biggest concern. Uh, Number one, I think you may be working on too many things at once. That's concern number one. Concern number two is that I've got this funny feeling that we don't yet know what his concern is on this unsolved problem because we've got solutions that are all over the board. He can lay in bed until 6.30. Um, he can turn on a small lamp and read quietly. He can he can go down him, downstairs himself 
He can he could eat cereal and milk and juice. He can come into bed with you guys, but he has to be quiet. We are all over the board on solutions, but you know what that says to me? It says we may not yet know what his concern or perspective is, what he thinks is getting in his way. I know what we want to accomplish. We don't want him to wake anybody up until 6.30, and we've come up with a bunch of solutions that could keep him from waking people up before 6.30, but if we don't know what is getting in the way for him, then we're taking what I would call the shotgun approach to solutions because we don't exactly know what we're aiming at yet. So that's the empathy step of plan B. What's getting in his way? What's his concern or perspective on that unsolved problem? Now we know what we're actually trying to solve. If he says, and and maybe you've had this discussion, it's just that those five different solutions that could be, that could and aren't at the moment, that's why you're emailing, that are not working, it may be that none of them are addressing what's actually getting in his way. Because it may be that we don't exactly know what's getting in his way, why it's so hard for him to stay in bed till 6.30 a.m. So if we don't know that, then our solutions are going to be all over the place because all we're really trying to do is come up with something that will keep him from getting out of bed or waking people up at 6.30 a.m. We've got to know what's making it hard for him to do that so that we can come up with a solution that will address what's getting in his way. So that's another concern that I have about what I'm reading in your email. Another concern is that I'm hoping, well, I'm I'm betting that the solutions that you came up with, not only are they not necessarily addressing his concern on the waking people up at 6.30 a.m. unsolved problem, I'm worried that they may not meet our definition, the criteria for a good solution, which on the one hand is that they'd be mutually satisfactory, meaning that they address the concerns of both parties. So I've already talked about that. I'm not sure that any of those solutions will address his concerns on that problem because I don't know what his concerns are. But I'm also concerned that the solutions may not meet the other criteria. They'd be realistic, meaning that both parties can actually do what they're agreeing to in the solution. I'm worried that, well, concerned that he can't actually do any of those solutions. Not only might those solutions not be addressing his concerns, he may not actually be able to do them. All right. Um, So my recommendation is that you go back, make a list of unsolved problems. Decide which ones you're working on right now and which ones you're not. And if you want this one to be a high priority, and it sounds like it is, it sounds like everybody's tired, got to figure this out, make it a high priority. Don't work on everything. But then make sure you're doing the three steps of plan B. The empathy step is where you are gathering information so as to come to the clearest possible sense of his concern or perspective on this unsolved problem, what's getting in his way. 
The define the problem step is where you're getting your concern entered into consideration, how the unsolved problem is affecting him, how it's affecting others. And then you're brainstorming solutions, which by definition will address the concerns of both parties. That's the mutually satisfactory part. But once again, the solution can't be mutually satisfactory unless we know what the concerns of both parties are. What's making it so hard for your son to stay in bed in the morning without waking people up? And they've got to be realistic, too. Let's make sure that whatever solution we're agreeing to, both parties can actually do. Sorry to say, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening in. I hope that you found the information on this program to be useful. I'll be back again next week. Take care.